0: You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit illinilife.org. So, um, guys, it's an honor to preach God's Word with you guys today because um, like a real privilege to, to look at God's Word. That's It's got to be the thing that guides us. And so we're going to do that. Before we do that, I have something I need to, to share with you guys. Um the self-appointed social chair of the urbana small group uh james weigel is not here so therefore we're going to have an election to vote him out as social chair um no james um james was talking to me james man you gotta come sometime huh um he uh he said he wanted to do a a pumpkin carving contest as a church and we said yeah let's do it and so james wanted me to tell you guys that we are going to do a pumpkin carving contest with a cash gift card prize reward (laughs) Um, and so that's going to be announced it's here. I want you guys to get pumpkin, get ready to carve a pumpkin. There'll be more information coming in the lifeline on Flocknote. And so I'd encourage you guys, alignalife.flocknote.com is how you can log on with an email. Or if you text the number, you should be able to create an account. Some folks have texted that number, but have told me they haven't gotten the email, so that's why I go to that website, alignalife.flocknote.com. Log in there with your, your information. It should help you get there. But we're going to send that information out. There's going to be voting. You guys are going to get to vote. Um, And then we'll announce a winner in a couple Sundays. So um, I think that that coming Sunday is Halloween. So how about that? Um, James knew what he was doing. Maybe he should be social chair. Are we fine with that in the last moment? Okay. Um, Next thing, next social thing. Um, If you guys care, which I know some of you do and some of you don't, it's uh, it's Packers week for you Bears fans, um, which means it's Bears week for me. Um, I am a Packers fan. Um, Some of you might not care. Some of you might be offended. Um, but as a Packers fan, there's been a lot of good years in my life. Um, this particular game, um, is a game that feels very pivotal. Uh, the bears have, if you guys know, and if you don't, I'm going to tell you the bears have their most promising quarterback. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Let's do this one. Oh man. This was a favorite. Oh man. That was good. Okay. That was, I watched that at a collegiate conference. Um, we used to have in the winter break. Um, loved it it was a fun game um, this game is really important because the bears have their best quarterback since a guy named sid luckman um, And if you know the name sid luckman good on you and if you don't that's how long it's been since the bears have had a good quarterback um, the packers are kind of in their like last dance-esque season as a team with aaron Rodgers. Um, you guys can read this one your buddy yeah you can read that right he's he's growing his hair out for a halloween costume i'm sorry you guys who are streaming you can't see the slides they're really good um, Okay, um, there's a good chance the Bears will turn things over and rule for the next 30 years. Like, there's a good chance that'll happen. Well, there's a chance that'll happen. Um, now, it's a sports rivalry, right? And many of you don't care, but, like, there's a few of us in Atlanta line of life over the years who have had strong opinions about this. Um, and we, this is David Boswick, um, one of our guys who does worship here. He and I used to live together. Um, I think it's Devin Hester, and that's Aaron Kampman jerseys, if you care. Um, <laughs> And um, it's funny because the sports rivalry is not that big of a deal, but it does lead to conflict sometimes. And in the church, right, like we're supposed to be coexisters. We're supposed to to get along in all sorts of areas. But the reality is that wasn't always the case for the church. The church is trying to figure out how do we do this thing? How do we get along amongst differences? And so that's what we're going to look at today in um, the book of Acts, actually, is, is how they handled a big difference. And so we're actually, in, in Acts, we've been doing this thing. This is our seventh week in the book of Acts. I've loved it, guys. It has felt like just some of the most fun um, Bible studying and preaching that we've had in a while here. I just love it. Um, the book of Acts is coming alive for me um, as we're doing it. And if you remember, the book starts with Jesus telling his, his followers, his earliest followers, that they will take the message of Jesus from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria to the very ends of the earth. And we've seen that happen. The message was spreading in Jerusalem. They're spreading so much in Jerusalem that the Jews there were, that Christian Jews there were persecuted and sent out of the city. And so they went into Judea and they went into Samaria. Samaria, where Jews and Samaritans don't get along. And Samaritans came to follow Jesus. And they had this strange moment where like, well, at least you guys have some cultural history with us so we can kind of get along with this Jesus thing. And they kept going. In fact, it kept going out further to um, what the, they were called Gentiles. Well, we still would call Gentiles, all of us here, people who are not Jews. And the message of Jesus was received by them. Last week, Nick talked about Cornelius, a Roman centurion who received the message of Jesus, received the Holy Spirit, and the gospel is going outward. It's super, like, guys, if you get a chance to, like, listen to the book of Acts, or like, at least read it as much as you can in one sitting, because it's like a theologically rich action novel. Um, there's so much like so many twists and turns and things like that and in fact our next twist its crazy it comes five chapters after Cornelius so Cornelius was about 10 uh, chapter 10 we're in chapter 15 but in those five chapters we've spanned 10 years of history 10 years okay can you imagine so Cornelius becomes a Christian he and his household come to follow Jesus they receive the Holy Spirit and then you have 10 years of action of people coming to know Jesus in Gentile ways um. Actually, James, uh, the brother of John, one of the apostles, is killed by Herod. Peter is arrested, and um, he escapes narrowly uh, from um, prison by an angel taking him out. Um, Herod then goes on vacation and dies. Um, super weird. It's funny. Like, it's literally, he's like, I was tired. Of, he was tired of the Jews, and so he, like, he needed to take a break, and he went on vacation. And then he, like, gets struck down by the Lord. Wild stuff, Okay. And so um, in 10 years, though, this issue starts to arise. This issue of difference in the church between um, people um, of Jewish upbringing and of Gentile upbringing. How do we coexist a little bit? You see, the problem of going outward brings about a tension, um, a difficulty of getting along sometimes, like when you're building furniture from Ikea. Um, Like when you're trying to build something and it just brings about a fight, That was like building the early church. You guys seen these comics with these aliens? Man, they're so, this guy, Nathan does a good job with these. Um, Okay, so a a group of Jews become sort of gatekeepers of what it means to be Christian. We're going to talk about the issue of that. You ever heard that term gatekeeping? We all probably do it a little bit with things we're fans of. Um, Let me give you some examples. How about sports? where were you when the cubs won the world series do you remember where you were can you name the starting nine and the pitch, pitch and rotation can you name it if you don't you're probably not a cubs fan like we all do it right there's like a level like you either are or you aren't oh you just became a fan of the cubs in 2016 sorry you're not a real cubs fan you didn't suffer enough um what about the next one what about music uh you haven't even listened to that album that's like them. If you haven't listened to that album, you don't know. Is that Ed Sheeran? Something like that. Um, You don't know them. Like, if you haven't listened to it, you don't know it. Oh, you just like the stuff that was on the radio? You don't like the deeper cuts? Sorry. Like, not a fan. What about this gatekeeping question? How do you feel about The Last Jedi? On one side, you're a fan. On the other side, you are the worst person to have ever lived. Um, that's how these discussions go, right? Like, and it's pop culture. It doesn't really that matter that much. In fact, what we're dealing with today is a lot more significant than whether somebody is a fan of Taylor Swift or not. Because these gatekeeping questions, they are important. Like watching our doctrine, making sure we have good Christian living is important. But it can also become a burden because when you become an arbiter, particularly let's just say a fandom, you miss, you miss on the opportunity of inviting people to enjoy the thing that you enjoy. When we we become gatekeepers of the Christian message, we separate people from the opportunity to connect with Jesus, their Savior. And while there are plenty of arbiters of things on message boards and things like that, we as Christians, we have the best arbiter of all in determining how somebody is a Christian or isn't. And that's the main character of the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit. God himself has said, this is how you can be a follower of mine. This is how you can come to be saved. And when people bring about their additions, their own thoughts to it. We need to be careful and look back to what God has to say first. And so that's what we're going to do today as we look at the book of Acts chapter 15. You guys tracking with me? Is this making sense? Okay, there's a lot at stake here because how we determine whether somebody can be a Christian or not affects everything. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to see what the book of Acts has for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for um, this message. I thank you for this passage, how it's been shaping me and affecting me. I pray, Lord, that this passage would do the same here, that your word would be living and active. Um, And Lord, I would be just a communicator of of what I've seen you doing in my heart. And I pray, Lord, um, even what I've felt like for the heart of our church. Amen. Okay, Acts 15. I mentioned gatekeeping. Here's what happens. Three things. One, a group of Jews go from Jerusalem to Antioch to stir up trouble. When they start trouble, out we'll get there. That trouble gets stirred up enough to the point where there is a meeting called to deal with the trouble. And then, once that meeting is called, the meeting determines an answer, and that answer is sent back to these Jewish Christians or these Christians, excuse me, in Antioch, these Gentile Christians in Antioch, to tell them, hey, this is what you guys should do. It's real simple: problem, meeting, answer. Problem, meeting, answer. That's what we're going to look at today. So, what's the problem about? It starts in verse 1 of chapter 15. So I'm going to read that to you guys here. It'll be up on the screen. If you've got a Bible in front of you and you want to highlight and things like that, I encourage you to do that because I think taking notes and going back over them is a great way to, to really get to know the passage better. Um, so, verse 1. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Okay. Here's the issue. Circumcision. Hooray. Um, If you don't know what circumcision is, um, I'm not going to explain it to you. Um, Instead, I'm going to tell you that it was a clear marker for Jews to say, we are Jewish. We are God's people. And it was not a big deal to ask a bunch of grown people to go through circumcision. Um, Now, what's funny here, just a little geography aside, in case you ever look at a map and like, wait, what's the Bible doing here? Uh, It says it came down from Jerusalem. Well, Antioch's north of Jerusalem, Um, why does it say down? Two reasons, probably one, it's higher on a hill, and then two, Jerusalem is the seat of the message, and so going down from there would be like going down from the holy place, and so when you you see going down from Jerusalem, it doesn't mean north and south like we think about it. It usually means something like that, and so just a little aside there for in case you ever ran into that, and you're like, wait a second, these guys don't know geography. Um, Okay, now, Circumcision, pain, jokes aside, this is an issue that's been brewing for a decade. Like I mentioned, Cornelius coming to know Jesus was a decade ago, 10 years. If you didn't know what a decade was, I don't know why I need to explain that. Um, and so the question becomes do these new Christians, these Gentile Christians, need to become Jewish to become a Christian? Do they need to practice Jewish practices um, to follow Jesus. And this mattered because not only this is how does somebody be saved, but also, How do we, like, get along as Christians? Because if you remember from the story of Cornelius, Peter was, like, hesitant to go be with them and eat with them. To fellowship with Gentiles as a Jew would have been a big deal. Like, to go into their home, like, nope, don't do that. They're unclean. And so the question of, like, how does the church be unified is a big deal in this. So these guys are suggesting, hey, maybe they should all be circumcised. But in verse 5, we get a more intensive version of this. And so I'm going to read that here um, a few verses later. A meeting is called, they come down, and it says, some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Now it's not just circumcision, it's it's keeping the law of Moses. It's animal sacrifices, it's cleanliness laws, it's doing all these things. And now, it makes sense, the party of the Pharisees, I don't know if you guys knew this, Pharisees were not like a ruler, uh, they are a party. They're like a theological camp. They're like Presbyterians or something like that. Um, they they were strict adherence to the law of Moses, but being a Christian would have been easy for a Pharisee because they believed in a bodily resurrection. They believed in a coming Messiah. Like, it would have made sense for Pharisees to become followers of Jesus if they understood the message. And so, but they also felt this tension of like, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. And so the question comes up, how does somebody become a Christian? And who do we fellowship with as they become Christians? This is what this council in Jerusalem that we're going to read about here, this meeting, addresses. How does somebody become a Christian? And who do we fellowship with? Who do we share life with as Christians? Now, to be clear, um, with these Pharisees, I think it'd be easy to say, well, they didn't get it. Like, yeah, they kind of didn't. We're going to get to that. But that doesn't mean they weren't Christians. sometimes when we say somebody doesn't get it, and we'll get to this, we think, well, they're not, they don't they're not really a believer. Like these are trying to figure it out. I think the text does not say they're not faithful Christians, so I don't want to say they're not faithful Christians either. So, I mentioned a meeting was called. Um, verse two of the text. We went past it a little bit here. Says Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about the question of circumcision. This issue, while not very relevant to us today, the the core of it still is, what Christians should I hang around with? What Christians have it right? How do we know we have it right? Now, they call a council, they call a meeting, which we don't, we're not like super into councils these days, like we sometimes have like conferences, Um, but like this council is getting the leaders of the church in different areas together to determine what do we think is the right answer to this question, to this issue of circumcision. Because it's causing a stir amongst the believers, and we need to solve the problem. Now, some of us sometimes, particularly in churches that feel very independent, we're sort of like, well, we'll make a decision, and we'll go for it. Like, I feel very tempted to be like, let's solve the problem and go forward. Like, we've got people to save. But they were willing to stop and slow down. And it took them 10 years to get to this meeting in the first place uh, and decide, like, how are we going to go forward with this? And I love that there's some order to that. And I don't know what else they talked about at the council. I don't know what kind of, like, coffee and donuts they served. I don't know who the, like, keynote speaker was or who the worship band was. But I'm kidding. There was probably no worship band. Um, But we do know they addressed the main issue that was brought to them, this issue of circumcision, this issue of how does somebody become a Christian. And so there are three speeches that the book of Acts gives us, that Luke gives us in his account. One from Paul, or sorry, one from Peter. One from Paul and Barnabas, and one from James, the brother of Jesus. So let's start with Peter's speech and just look at this council. What I want us to do is I want us to see hey, how are they responding to this question of how has somebody become a Christian and who do we fellowship? How do we fellowship together as believers? Okay. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. Okay, if you missed Nick's sermon last week, there's your summary. Uh, Peter recounts what happened, that God showed no favoritism. He said, I will help the Gentiles come to know me. And it's by purifying them through faith, not through action, not through sacrifice, but through faith. It is by the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. There's no difference between them and us. In Jesus, so he also acknowledges this. Funny, he sort of says, "Hey, we couldn't keep this law either. We didn't do it like." So, why would we test God and his plan by making other people try to do it too? It's like, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Like, it's not going to work that way. Why would it work that way for them if it didn't work that way for the Jews? And so, just to, this thought things to the gospel is to test God. We'll talk more about that in a little bit just for us today. But to add things to the gospel is to test God. Peter's making that claim right now. Thanks. Okay, so that's Peter's speech. Sort of a recounting of Acts chapter 10 and a reforming of that after 10 years of thinking through it and affirming, yeah, this is how it is. Our next speech has no words in it. Sorry, guys. Um, but it's from Paul and Barnabas. And if you want to actually read the speech, um, essentially just go read Acts 11, 12, 13, and 14. They're recounting that. They're recounting the work of the Holy Spirit in those years, and so the reader would have had that already above them. We as a church, as were preaching it, we don't have that, but I would encourage you as a reader, go back and read that. You'll get Paul and Barnabas's speech. And so the, the, the text here in this uh, council says, everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Now, hopefully you've heard this before, but we'll say it again because we want to catch these phrases. Signs and wonders shows up throughout Acts. It shows where God is at work. The Holy Spirit is at work where signs and wonders are at work. And so to say signs and wonders are happening among the Gentiles is to say, hey, what Peter said, it's not just theory, it's happening. It's happening. The Holy Spirit is being received and miraculous things are being done in the midst of the Gentiles. Again, reference Acts 11, 12, 13, 14. God is at work. And so as Peter makes the case for the theology, and Barnabas and Paul make the case for that practical living out of that theology, James comes up, which I always love this. I love when people say this, and I just feel like I want to say it because James is the brother of Jesus. And if my sibling believed that I was the savior, like okay wow that's crazy like for him to stake his life that his sibling that he fought with and things like that as a savior is kind of crazy um so anyway your siblings are not the savior but for james it's kind of crazy just believe that anyway if that didn't make sense sorry um james speaks up when they all finished he says brothers listen to me simon called peter actually in some translations it's rendered as simeon how jewish is that like he's saying like we still respect our jewish heritage but simeon has described to us how god first intervened to choose a people for his name from the gentiles saying hey this is what this is what happened we can't argue with what happened the words of the prophet are in agreement with this and as as it is written after this i will return and rebuild david's fallen tent its ruins, I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. First off, James is quoting the Old Testament. He's saying, hey, the tent of David is being rebuilt, and it's being, being being rebuilt by Jesus. It's not a new temple. It's not that like it's not a physical building. It is Jesus, and that tent being rebuilt means that Gentiles will come to seek and to know God too. It's not a new thing for Gentiles to come to know to know God. It has been baked into God's plan from the beginning, and the prophets are bearing witness to that. But on top of that, James, I feel like he gets at the heart of the discussion. He's like. Yeah, we could talk about these standards, we could talk about this stuff, but let me tell you, this is the heart of it. How hard is it? Or how hard are we making it for Gentiles to come to know Jesus? How difficult are we making this? Salvation is from God's grace, so why would we make it harder for people, for people to be saved? I love that. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So he offers a solution. It says instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Okay, much like much of the New Testament, James says, Hey, to solve this problem, let's write a letter to these people. Let's write a letter, let's clarify things, let's get move forward. And then he gives a list to the modern reader, uh, that to the modern reader is like, wait, what? This is what you're expecting people to do? I feel like I'm like, okay, fine, sure. Um, These four things, food polluted by idols, sexual immorality, meat of strangled animals, and blood. Abstain from these things. Now, just to be clear, just because it doesn't necessarily completely quickly make sense to us, Does not mean it didn't make sense to the early, the the original audience. It probably would have made sense to them. In fact, James says the law of Moses has been preached from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Like he's saying, hey, we know this is like a realistic way, a realistic thing to ask. Like it's a normal thing where Jews and Gentiles are together. But why? Why is this a normal list? Why is this reasonable? Okay, some people think this is a moral code, like kind of like a new law. Like Let's distill the law down and make people do these four things. The problem with that, though, is if circumcision was such a big deal to being a Jew, why would that be off the list? Why would we add a new law? Let me tell you, it is not a new law. That ain't it. Instead, this is a list of things that Jews would have been made unceremonially, unceremonially clean by being around. James is saying, hey, guys, if you want to get along with the Jews and the people who came to know Christ before you, this would be a good list of things to do. To be able to fellowship together, to be united as a church, you as Gentiles, can you make these concessions? Now, people think these, this list, there's a good chance it's sort of related to pagan worship. Like, hey, like, we know pagan worship isn't real. We know those gods aren't real. But to your Jewish brothers, these things matter. Okay, does it make sense? Like, he's the Jews are making a massive concession by saying, Hey, it turns out we're not the only people of God. And so James is suggesting, Hey, what if we ask a concession from the Gentiles, too, to get along with one another, to be able to fellowship together, to be a community, to be the church? So, three of them are food related. One, sexual immorality seems more intense, but it feels like to the reader of the day, this list would have made sense and would have helped to lead to unity because we're going to see what happens after this list goes out to those believers. We're going to talk about how we can make a, make a sense of it for our day and age in a little bit. But essentially, if I can say as quickly as this is, the letter says, hey, could you guys do these things so we can get along and be united as a church? That would really help. Great. So they decide to write a letter. James, oh my gosh, you're, you're, are you ever in a group project and you make a suggestion and then the group project goes with your idea? Like, that feels so good. Like, James just like, like great, James, we're going to go with your idea. And so they write a letter, but not just writing a letter. They actually set, decide we're going to send some people to go with this letter to affirm the message. Because what happened was a group of people from Jerusalem came in the first place to say, hey, you got to be circumcised. And so they are saying, hey, let's make sure these people in Antioch and Syria get it that it is not what those guys are saying, but what this letter says. And so let's read that letter together. This letter to the early church, the apostles and elders, your brothers. This was a chance to use papyrus. I was really thankful for that. Um, It's just not, it's just not in vogue to use. So Um, the apostles and elders, your brothers, how familial is that? Oh my gosh. To the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. We've heard that someone out from, uh, from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them all to you with our dear friends, Barnabas and Paul, who were sent down. They're going back. Men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ saying these people who are coming to you, they have staked their lives on this message of Jesus and what we're writing to you. So therefore, we're sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrifice to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. This is a real letter written by real people to other people in this time to help clarify how do we get along as the church. It feels really sacred to read those words. And yet they feel so practical, right? Like as we've seen the Holy Spirit move in Acts, it seemed like it's all been miraculous. And a counsel and a letter and some expectations feels pretty mundane. It seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. There was like not like the Holy Spirit breathed fire upon them and said, stop doing this stuff because it's going to help. Like, they wrote a letter. But what I love about that is the miraculous is happening in the midst of what seems mundane. right? Because the Holy Spirit seems to affirm these believers from all these different backgrounds that we can be unified on this thing. And I love that the Holy Spirit is bringing about unity in the church. That's beautiful. That's miraculous. So the goal of the letter settles the issue. How is somebody saved? Faith in Jesus. You guys are our brothers. They wouldn't have dressed them as brothers if they didn't think they were their brothers. So you're already our brothers. Who do we fellowship with? Jesus followers. And how do we do it? Respectfully. Let's be respectful of our limitations and our needs and different things that cause us to feel... Um, Polluted things that make us feel like, whoa, that's too much. Can we love one another in the midst of that? That's the suggestion for them there. And I think the suggestion from the Holy Spirit for us today. This is a pivotal moment because the church came together unified, and the message that had been floating around for 10 years that Gentiles can join the church is affirmed, and the the message really explodes from there. It goes out from there. So I think this unity that was suggested is a unity that was lived and a unity that was compelling. You see, I think this is true for today. The message of Jesus is this amazing antidote for the expectations of perfection, right? The the, the Jews of that day couldn't keep the law. How many of you feel like you can't keep everything that's expected of you? Yeah, The the, the law of Jesus is a law of love, a law of faith, not of expectation. And the biting tribalism of those days is almost no different than it is today. When the church is unified across lines of green and yellow and orange and blue, or other more significant lines of race, uh, cultural background, socioeconomics, politics, and the church is united across those lines, it's a powerful message. Now, don't get me wrong, this letter... It's not, a, it's not about personal holiness. These things of unity, There's going to get to that. We're going to get to personal holiness. In fact, James, who says, hey, you're saved by faith, is also the one who writes the letter that people talk about your faith and your works must go together. So James isn't like, forget living right. Like, he's saying, hey, these are some things you can do to be united. We'll get to the other stuff later, but this is where we're at right now. And I love that. I love how ragtag it is saying, hey, let's get people to know Jesus, and then we'll worry about their lives later. So all that said, for them, the message really does go forward. If you were to read on in the passage and in Acts, the message shifts from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. And we're going to talk about that next week, these missionary journeys that go out to bring the message to people with the freedom of this council setting the stage. Come back next week for that. Um, so what do we do with this passage for us today? I'm not going to encourage you to abstain from me, uh, sacrifice to idols and from blood and things like that, um, although eating blood just sounds kind of gross anyway. Um, so anyway, um, let, me, let me offer two things for you guys today, for us today. First off, it still is not Jesus plus blank. What I mean is there's no way in the last 2,000 years that the gospel has changed to where faith in Jesus plus something else is what saves you. Now, I think we all say, yeah, faith in Jesus saves us. But like, we also, I know I do this. And I imagine you do too. I've seen people do it. Um, where we add to the gospel accidentally. Let me, let me give you an example. <clears throat> Did you see that they read the King James Version? I don't know if they really are. I don't know if they get it. Like, do they know that thing? Like, they're probably not a Christian. Let me make that judgment what about that? Man, all they sing is prom songs to Jesus. Like, do they sing any theologically rich music at all? Or are they just like lovey-dovey stuff? Do they have that niche theological conviction that I do, that my tribe loves? or well, they don't? Well, how dare they? Not Christians. They're anathema. Heresy. Man, heretic. Everybody's a heretic. Um, let me get to that's made more real. Hey, did you hear they voted that way? There's no way a Christian would vote like that. They can't be a Christian. Now, I'm not saying fruit isn't real. We should bear fruit in keeping with repentance. We should live holy lives. But to say whether somebody knows Jesus or not based on their actions alone is missing the point of this counsel. They know Jesus because Jesus called them. I do this, I struggle with putting things that are lower down the list at the top of the list and start to judge people, right? Like, it shows up all the time with, like, people from, like, different church traditions in town. Like, gosh, they're not, like, doing it as good as us. Like, one, how arrogant of me. Um, But two, like, it feels natural to do that, and so we have to really fight against that. Say, well, you have to be Jesus plus non-denominational. or You have to be Jesus plus Catholic. Like, no, it's just Jesus. Let's start there. So watch where you're adding standards on people that God hasn't put on them. Maybe that's what I could say. Not for salvation. Those standards are not for salvation. Those standards are things to talk about how we live as disciples. But we can say somebody knows Jesus just because Jesus knows them, because he has called them and they've accepted him. That's as simple as the message of Acts. as simple as I'm going to get to you guys for today. Now, secondly, how do we get along with other believers? Live sacrificially and respectfully. The church, I just want, I feel like I really want, like everybody's eyes and ears on this one. The church is a family, not a friend circle. Friends, we kind of like pick and choose and cultivate and get it to be like the most clean and just like us or the most diverse, whatever whatever we're wanting, we cultivate our friend circle to be like that. The church is family, not a friend circle. And so we're going to have crazy uncles and goofy kids and just all sorts of people that we don't get along with because we know Jesus, we can be united. Now, we live in a world in a day where people can kind of pick churches based on some of those things, maybe different theological convictions, ways of living, and I can be thankful for that, but I do not want to miss the opportunity to live in a fellowship with believers of different backgrounds than me. I, oftentimes, I feel like, well, if somebody becomes a Christian, they got to become like me. And that's missing the point. I want to be able to fellowship with believers that are more charismatic than me, who have different um, convictions than me, who are trying to figure out Jesus faithfully by looking at his word. And if they're doing that, I want to be able to fellowship with them. Um, I mean, another way to put it the church is not American, like, the church is not Midwestern. Like, There are Christians, even in California, who I'd be like, wait, what? You guys really think, like, eating vegetables is part of being a Christian? Like, that's weird, but um, fine. Um, I think that we are relearning this right now. Our our, our pandemic that we're all wearing masks for here and trying to figure out how long is this going to be and how do we get out of it and all that stuff has caused us, by design, to withdraw from one another to withdraw from people not like us, right? Like the thought is, well, if you're going to spend time with people, spend time with just these few people. And who are you going to spend time with? The people you're closest to, the people you're most like, because that's how you go less insane. Um, And so as we're coming out of this, we have to relearn fellowship looks different than that. It means going and being with people who aren't like you, but because they know Jesus, we can be together. Um. I think we're relearning that. Also, some of you guys who are, who are maybe new to a church in town or things like that are trying to figure out, how, where do I land? Let me tell you, it is better to fellowship with people than to float on the surface with a lot of people. Fellowship with, the, with somebody. Be together with people. In fact, I invite you to come to Breaking Bread um, after worship. We're going to eat a meal together. We're going to do this table fellowship thing. We're going to be united in the midst of differences. One other area that I just think it's worth pointing out, because um, a church like ours, um, we run into this challenge, is um, the sacrifice that some of us need to make is that somebody much younger than us or much older than us is somebody we can relate to. Culturally, we have a big sense of like, well, this is our generational gap and this is like that. And like, if they are up here or they're on here, I can't understand them. Where it shows up is when you're 25 and you're in a campus church, you're like, I'm so old. Like, no, you're not. Um, the people who love me the best when I've had tragedies hit me have actually been like 19-year-old dudes who cared for me, who have shown up to funerals, who have been in the midst of my life, who didn't understand everything I was going through, but who stood with me. That's why I don't, I don't want ageism to hit the church. We are intentionally an intergenerational church, not a multi generational church that's stratified, but intergenerational. That's why we do Breaking Bread. That's why we do these things together, to share life together. That's so why I want you to get to know my kids. Hi, Ava. She's busy. <laughs> um, yeah. Let's seek unity over being right. This is what the call of the early church was for them, and I think it's a call for us today. These values are still countercultural. To fellowship with people who are different than you, to get along with people that are different than you, still matters. It's still countercultural. I just think it's still compelling for people to love people who aren't like them. And so may we, may we as the church start with us and then go out and love other people. Um, that's what I got for you guys today. Um, my heart is that we would just be united as a church. We'd be loving one another um, well, and not just in word, but in deed. So I'm going to pray. Um, I hope that the Holy Spirit is working in your life through this this passage, and we're going to sing some worship music. Some.